believe it, it is the first Sunday of the month, eh? Am I the only one who remembered to wear a Hawaiian shirt today? I mean, Colin, we're going to have to have a disciplinary meeting. It is winter, you are right, but it's a beautiful day. <laughs> well, I've got to say, it's good to be here. I've, I was sick for like eight or nine weeks. I'm sure many of you can relate. Uh, by the way, Zoe, lovely to have you in the band, eh? <laughs> First of many high schoolers that we hope to see joining the band, eh, Jonna? It's going to be pretty sick. Um, I've been sick for a long time. I had bronchitis, and then I got covid and then I had bronchitis again, so it was eight or nine weeks that I couldn't do any exercise at all. And then this week, I went overboard. It was just amazing. So I'm quite stiff. I can hardly walk properly. For the first time ever, I went for a surf before church this morning, which was amazing. I actually did have a moment when I thought, yo, what if I get attacked by a shark or something? And I thought, you know, I preached in last week in South Penn. They can just play the video. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> random things you think about. Is it me or am, am I doing something wrong or is this working? Okay, great, man. Um, well, we've got a cracker text uh, to look at today, so I just, I'm going to get straight into it. Um, we're in the final week of our second sub-series in the book of Jane, James. It's been six weeks. This is week six, and we've been looking at real faith leads to godly action. I know we said that, you know, there's kids around, it's a family meeting, so, you know, you're going to have to just focus in. If your kid's making a bit of noise, don't stress too much. And if they start screaming, you know, feel free to, to play with them outside a little bit. But, but we've, seen, we've seen that real faith, one, transforms our words, it transforms our deeds, it produces true worship, that real faith doesn't discriminate that real faith loves in the light of God's mercy. It's what we've been exploring over the last, and then today, real faith is alive in godly action. And so the big idea for today is this, that true faith is shown to be genuine and alive through acts of faith. True faith is shown to be genuine and alive through acts of faith. So let's read through our text. You're going to need to turn there in your Bible. I uh, didn't make a slide. I, I might have forgotten to do that. But uh, the, we will, the text will come up on the screen throughout the message. But we're reading from James 2, verse 14 to 26. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at two examples of faith. We're going to explore the relationship between faith and works. There's actually... That's quite a big thing for us to wrap our heads around and you'll see why. And then I'm gonna land with two ingredients of genuine faith that we see right here in the text and then I'll, I'll land with a little bit of challenge and then we'll sing, sing a song. So here we go, James 2 verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If any of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. But this is God's word and may speak to us, may transform us, challenge us, and encourage us through it. Well, picture the scene. Abraham is heading up Mount Moriah. He's on a hike. And after three days of, of heading up the mountain, you know, Abraham's walking, it's just his son Isaac that's with him, the servants, everyone else, they've been left behind, so it's just Abraham and Isaac trudging up the mountain. Isaac's breathing a little heavier. Now, he hasn't just had COVID. He's, he's, he's carrying all the wood for this burnt sacrifice that they're going up Mount Moriah. I mean, let's be honest, Abraham's much older. I mean, they only had their son Isaac through God's promise in the later years of their lives. I mean, it really was a miraculous uh, work of God to give Abraham and Sarah a child. And so Abraham's carrying the fire and the knife. I mean, I don't know what that looks like. We would just carry a lighter or matches. I don't know, maybe he was carrying a torch that was lit. Or flints probably, hey, that would make a lot more sense. So they're trudging up the mountain. Isaac, you know, he's a little concerned. He's asking his father, hey dad, did you pack for this trip? You know, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, you know, we've got the knife, where's the lamb? You know, did you forget the lamb? What's going on? God will provide, says Abraham. But what Isaac doesn't know is that days earlier, God had met with Abraham and asked Abraham to take his son Isaac up Mount Moriah and there to offer Isaac as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. And remarkably, Abraham is doing what God asked him to do. I mean, Isaac is, is God's gift, a, a promise, a miracle, and yet he's asked to do this. So Abraham's acting in faith. He's, he's just doing what, he, what God's told him to do. Hebrews 11 says that you know, Abraham's faith was such that he, he was even thinking to himself, even if, I, even if I did kill Isaac up there on that burnt offering, that, that God could even resurrect him from the dead and give him back to me. And this is the faith that Abraham was operating out of. So they get to the spot, Abraham and Isaac, where it looks good to do a burnt offering. I wonder if Isaac's starting to feel a little worse. You know, his dad won't look him in the eye. You know, every time, you know, dad gives him an awkward smile and he's thinking, you know, I've been waiting the whole time for someone to come running up the mountain. I got the lamb, don't worry, it's coming. And just then, Abraham grabs Isaac, ties him up, places him on the altar, lifts the knife above, ready to plunge it down into his son. Abraham, Abraham, came the voice of the angel of the Lord, do not lay a hand on the boy. Just then, he spotted a ram caught in a thicket and substituting it for Isaac, offered it to the Lord. Well, let's read what happens next from Genesis 22, verse 15. It says, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
I will surely bless you and make your name your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And even we today are a result of this promise that God gives to Abraham in, uh, in because of his faith. So then James, in this passage, right after speaking about this faith of Abraham, he speaks about the faith of Rahab. So just to mix it up, we're gonna watch a short clip. It's just over three minutes about the story of Rahab. He moves from speaking about this patriarch of the faith to this prostitute. So let's watch that together. Faithful Hall of Fame, Rahab. This is Rahab. Hi. Rahab lived in the town of Jericho in the Promised Land. Rahab was not an Israelite and she made bad choices. But God had a plan for Rahab, even though she was a sinner. Ah, all right. Now God told his people, the Israelites, hey, that's us. to go into the promised land. So Joshua sent two spies to search the land around the city of Jericho. Two spies came to Rahab's house to stay the night. But the king of Jericho heard that there were spies in his city, so he sent orders for Rahab to bring them out. Rahab hid the spies uh, and told the king's men that it was true that the men were at her house, but she did not know where they were now. Uh, but... She told the king's men to go quickly to find the spies because they could not have gone far. Go now. Oh, right. So the king's men rushed out to the city in pursuit of the Israelite spies. All the while, the Israelites hid on Rahab's roof. So Rahab went to them and said, I know the Lord has given you this land. We have heard of the great acts that God has done for you. Your God is the God of all the heavens and the earth. So please swear to me that you will be kind to my family. The spies agreed to this, and Rahab helped them escape from the city. Before they left, they told Rahab to tie a scarlet rope to the window. Yeah! Wow! Oops! This rope would serve as a mark for Rahab's house and would remind the Israelites of their promise to her. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And so the spies were on their way. For three days they hid from the king's men who 
were looking for them. Finally, they returned to Joshua and told them all they had seen. Rahab was remembered for her faithfulness, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies and put her trust in the one true God. What an incredible story of faith. At first you thought they were, it was beards, eh? but they were actually wearing masks. Little did we know. So, I mean, you've got a prostitute in a pagan city of a pagan nation showing this incredible faith in the God of Israel. She's heard stories here and there, probably because of the volume of people that go through her place. She's heard about this nation of Israel and what God's been doing through them and for them, that he's giving them the land that she's living in at the time. So she hides the spies. She sends the soldiers on this wild goose case, uh, goose chase all at the risk of her own life and the life of her family and extended family. I mean, think about it. She does not know much about this God. Hardly anything that she knows about this God, yet she acts on the little that she knows in faith. I mean, it's actually a remarkable story, probably one of the most remarkable examples of faith that we can see in the scriptures. In the scriptures. So according to James, who, who, we were in James at the moment, chapter two, when he thinks about real and living faith, he thinks about these two examples. He thinks about, he thinks about the faith of the patriarch Abraham and the prostitute Rahab. They trusted in God despite the real possibility of loss that they faced. They took great risks for God. There was great risk in their acts of stepping out in obedience. Their confidence and their trust in God exceeded the implications that they could imminently face because of their obedience to God's word in their lives. But the question is, why is James writing about these examples of great faith? What's happening is James is, is looking around at his fellow Christ followers, many of whom have been scattered throughout uh, the known world, and when he looks at his fellow Christ followers, he's seeing a very different picture to what he sees in the life of Abraham and Rahab. And so he makes this deeply challenging, uh, he tells this deeply challenging observation. He says, what good is it, verse 14, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without, foods and daily cl without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I mean, what, what is James seeing? He's looking at his fellow Christ followers and he's seeing this significant gap between what Christ followers proclaim to believe or profess to believe and how they actually live. There's a stark gap between our proclamation of faith and our acts of faith. And that's what we've been looking at over the last five weeks. We've been looking at what real godly faith looks like and how it translates into godly living. And this is the kind of example we can, we can identify with, someone who's in need, who's cold, without clothes, food to eat. 
it's a fairly innocuous, innocuous example, actually. If you compare this to like what Abraham faced, what Rahab faced, I mean, this is a very low bar of faith that he's, James is looking for here. The cost is low. I mean, to give a little bit of food and a little bit of clothing, I mean, that's within reach. There's no real risk. I mean, what risk is there to, to feed someone? What risk is there to clothe someone? I mean, it's within people's means. I mean, people have spare clothes, spare food, you know, a blanket. I mean, this is a low bar that God's asking of people. But when he looks around, he sees the stark lack of faith, even at such a low level. And it's just no good, says James. This is no good. Verse 17, he says, in the same way, faith by itself, not accompanied by action, is dead. And then he makes similar points in verse 20. He says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He's saying faith without these works of faith is useless and dead, says James. Let me just speak to us for a moment as we reflect on this text. You know, I think sometimes God speaks, speaks to us in our lives about big things maybe some real significant things, big acts of faith that God can call from us. I think about planting a church. You know, we, when we planted South Penn, Mike, Mike Oerstazen and his family, they were part of the eldership team here, and then God, they uprooted their family, they moved over into the valley, they, they bought a house, they, they actually built a house, they, their kids changed schools, they embedded themselves in the South Penn community for the sake of this church plant. And they've been serving there ever since. I mean, that's a big act of faith. Lots of inconvenience. Maybe, maybe God could call, be calling you to something like starting an NGO or an NPO that impacts you know, a suburb or a nation or a, or a province significantly. Maybe God could call you to an act of faith where it's creating a business that you know, brings about large employment or funds kingdom initiatives or is really used by God in some way or another. Maybe it's even something like starting a life group you know, that God could call us to, to do something that for us could be a, a big act of faith. Now, these big acts that I've mentioned, they're just a few examples. These are, I would say, fairly rare or occasional in our lives as Christ followers. But every Christ follower, all of us, are called to acts of faith in the simple daily living of our lives. I mean, I'm thinking about things like helping those in need who are within our own household. You know, whether it's family, extended family, or people that are employed by us. I mean, God calls us to acts of faith to, to help and love those in our sphere. Maybe helping those within the church family. Maybe an act of faith that God called you to is to be faithful to him in your workspace. Maybe in your workspace, God's, God's calling you to a simple act of faith towards someone else or towards the company or whatever it can be. Maybe it's about relationships. Maybe there's bitterness. Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's strain. Maybe there's an awkwardness. Maybe there's suspicion coming into your relationship. God could be calling you to a simple act of faith to move towards someone and reconcile or, or do business with them. Maybe it's speaking up for the powerless in our culture, in our society. Maybe it's committing to serve people, you know, whether in the local church or outside of the local church. This could be an act of faith that God's stirring in us. 
could be trusting God in our finances. You know, when, when it comes to things like regular committed giving to the local church and trusting God to provide for us, trusting God that if we're faithful that he will remain faithful to us. Maybe it's, maybe it's God stirring you the act to just share the gospel with someone. You know, someone who you know, a friend, or someone that God's brought along your path, and there's, this, there's these opportunities to share the gospel, to make known to them the, this great offer of salvation. It's, it's an act of faith to say yes, I'm, and just step into that, and just take that gap, and do what God's doing. So the list could go endless of these acts of faith that God can stir in us. Now, considering all of these things, it's pretty simple to see what James is saying. He's saying your faith is shown by actually, by what you do, not just by what you say. Actually, you need, to, you need to actually walk in all these acts that I've mentioned as examples. Now, it's easy to understand what he's saying, but that's actually also what makes these verses some of the most complex and hard to understand in the Bible. Because the relationship between faith and works can be really difficult to get our hands around. So I wanna, I wanna answer a question, what's the relationship between faith and works, or faith and deeds? Because Paul, in, in the New Testament, in Ephesians, he writes this. He said, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So Paul's clear here, he's saying, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works. But James has just written, Faith without works is dead, so which is it? Is it faith alone without works, or is it faith and works? And actually, as Christ followers, what we need to realize is that the Bible's calling us to hold attention in our lives, that there's two truths that seem to be opposite to each other that actually can be held together, and we need to keep that tension. We need to hold both faith and works without losing either one or the other. And it's not always easy, but, but we have to clear up this tension. So let me try to do that. Let me start by talking about grace. Paul writes, it's by grace you have been saved, through faith. We need to be perfectly clear. As Christ follows, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We are saved as we place our confidence, as we place our trust, which is faith, in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's when we're saved. On the cross, Jesus made reconciliation with God possible through winning for us the forgiveness of our sins and empowering and enabling this reconnection with our creator, Father. Much like Isaac and the ram that was caught in the thicket, Jesus is in an act of undeserved mercy and love. He substitutes himself in our place and dies. He dies so that we can live just like Isaac. The moment we place our faith in the historic act of Jesus dying on the cross, we find ourselves under the refreshing waterfall of God's undeserved mercy, grace, and love. And as this waterfall of grace flows over us freely and fully, we find ourselves completely forgiven, restored, made new, accepted, adopted into God's family through faith alone. Picture yourself under that waterfall, God's love and his mercy flowing over you, accepted, forgiven, adopted. I mean, I've always loved this acronym for grace. I don't know if you've heard of it before. God's riches at Christ's expense. 
We experience the fullness of all of God's riches through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross alone. Nothing else. We have to bank this. As Christ followers, we have to know this. We have to be secure in this. We have to be clear in this. We are saved by grace through faith alone. He's not arguing here. So James is not arguing that we need to add anything to our faith to be saved. What he is saying is that a real and living faith in Christ is at work transforming us. That actually this grace of God that enables salvation is at work in our hearts, transforming us, changing us, working in our affections and our desires and our priorities and what we love. A true and living faith, along with God's grace, finds expression in the way we live. So here's an excerpt from a commentary by Douglas Moo. It says, what he is concerned to do is to define the true nature of faith. As he does throughout the letter of James, his letter, James attacks superficial and inconsistent Christians who claim they have faith but fail to act on the basis of their faith. Such a faith, says James, is dead and useless. Calvin, John Calvin, the great theologian, he wrote, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Can never be alone. And so James, he's been writing about believers who claim to have faith in God, yet there's no traction, there's no congruency with actually the way that they're living out their life. And he's saying it's just no good. It's just no good, Christ followers. We saw last week, you know, favoritism is incompatible with faith. Well, James is saying that faith unaccompanied by acts of faith is incongruent, it's incompatible. I mean, later Paul writes to the church in Galatians and he says in chapter five, verse six, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You see, faith and grace impact our hearts, impacts our minds, so that our will is transformed, that our behavior is transformed over time. A true living faith is completely incongruent with an unchanged life. They just, they just don't go together. I hope that's been helpful. I hope that's answered a little bit of this tension between faith alone and, and what James is writing about here by, by faith and works working together. Okay, so my last point is looking at verse 18 and 19, and I wanna speak to these two ingredients of real living faith that we see in this text. Verse 18, it says, but someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So here's the first ingredient. Faith and acts of faith are synergistic, not opposed. That faith and works are not opposites, that they actually work together in a marvelous way. See, James, he's probably been hearing people talk. He's been hearing the talk uh, through the grapevine in the church. He's getting pushback from fellow believers about what he's been teaching about faith and works. And you know, the pushback he's getting is some Christ followers, um, the murmuring is, some people are saying, you know, I have faith. 
You know, my thing, I, I trust God, I know God. I, you know, my thing is to intellectually, you know, wrap my head around God and study the scriptures and really understand. I'm, I'm the thinker. You know, other guys are the doers and, you know, that's how it is. Nonsense, says James, nonsense. True and living faith must go beyond just intellectual assent. You know, that's intellectually agreeing with a set of truths or just understanding something. True faith is not only believing or knowing the right things. The truth is, as Christ followers, we need to, it's not good enough to just know the doctrines about God, about who God is. It's not good enough to just know, well, this is the story of the gospel. You know, this is the story of what Jesus has done on the cross, of what, why God sent him. You know, we need, to, to, it's not enough to just know the story. The story needs to be embraced beyond just understanding intellectually. This true and living faith that James is looking for is evidenced in how this knowledge metabolizes itself into actual living. The Expositor's Bible commentary says it like this. Faith is an attitude of the inner man and it can only be seen as it influences the actions of the one who possesses it. It's like James is saying, those with true and living faith, they put their money where their mouth is. They put their money where their mouth is. They bank their lives on what they know to be true about this God in whom they trust. He's saying that, that, that faith and works are synergistic, that this true and living faith, it fuels faithful living. It fuels faithful living. Okay, finally, the second ingredient we see that true faith impacts our minds, our emotions, and our will. It says, you believe, verse 19, that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So James is acknowledging here that, that there is an aspect of faith that has to do with our minds, that what we believe to be true is important, that you know, faith starts with believing the right thing. It starts by intellectually understanding the right thing. But if it stops there, we're no different to the demons, he says. They also know the truth about God and they also understand ultimate reality. In fact, James says that even demons go beyond intellectual understanding, beyond intellectual understanding. He says, he says yeah, even the demons understand and know these things, but more than that, even they're reflected emotionally they know that the stakes are high. They know that this truth about God impacts them. They have an emotional response. They shudder in fear. I picture Matthew 8 when Jesus approaches the demonized man and the demons shout out of him, son of God, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? I mean, demons understood the truth and the impact of who God is more than humanity at the time. They understand that there's real life implications but that's where demon's faith stops. It doesn't go any further than that. They know, they feel, but they do not bow their knee to the truth and the mercy and the grace and the love of God. True and living faith does. Our faith in God is about understanding God, but it can't stop there. Our faith causes emotive responses and impacts how we feel I mean, think about things like conviction. We feel convicted, we feel, we have an emotional response to truths about God. 
we, we, we feel God speaking to us. We get excited about the future. We get excited about God, what God may want to do, but it can't stop there. Our faith must go on to impact our will as we surrender to the truth about who God is, as we surrender to the truth about what God's doing in the world and say yes to what he's asking of us. That is true and living faith, says James. It's the kind of faith we see in the patriarch and the prostitutes. So let me just summarize and then I wanna land with the challenge. We've seen that true faith is shown to be true, shown to be alive through acts of faith. Now here's the challenge for us. We're left asking ourselves the question, is your faith showing itself to be real and genuine and living through acts of faith? Is your story anything like Abraham and Rahab? I'm not talking about the scale of it. I'm not talking about you know, the immensity of, of their particular stories. You know, Mother Teresa said, be faithful in little things, for in them your strength lies. To the good God, nothing is little because he is so great and we are so small. What I'm talking about here is is your true and living faith. Are you simply saying yes to God in your decisions, in how you live your life, in how you engage in the world? Are you just simply saying yes? I'm talking about a true and living faith that's willing to take risks for God. Are you willing to take risks for God according to his word, big and small? I mean, faith calls us to risks. A true and living faith that's prepared to say yes to God even after counting the cost, even after realizing that me saying yes to God in the circumstance could cost me some friendships, it could cost me some social currency, it could cost me a friendship, it could cost me time, it could cost me emotional energy, it could cost my family something. A true and living faith says yes to God despite these risks, despite these complications. A true and living faith takes what it knows, about, knows to be true about God and allows these, these truths to transform and change everything about their life. Now, perhaps in honest reflection, uh, when you think about your own faith life, you're thinking, maybe I'm more like the person who says, hey, go well, keep warm, you know, be well fed, but actually does nothing to help them. That actually there's a, there's a gap between our proclamation of faith and our acts of faith. And why not carve out some time this week? Maybe the band, you can make your way onto the stage. Why not carve out some time of reflection this week, you as a Christ follower, to just simply ask God to speak to you about areas of your life, aspects of your life, where you feel like actually God has been, God has been calling me to an act of faith here and I, I just haven't got there, you know? Maybe it's something old. Maybe it's something that God's actually been speaking to you about for some time. Maybe it's something brand new. Maybe you just need to spend some time in saying, God, would you help me to metabolize this truth that I know about you, that it would impact me deeper and deeper and deeper until I'm living it. Ask God for the courage and the strength to just say yes to you, God, yes to you. But I think all of us can simply pray this prayer that just says, God, will you always help me as a Christ follower, to have the strength and the courage and the love to say yes to you in the small and the big things in life. 
Why don't you stand? I want to pray for us. And then we'll sing a closing song. Well, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the the gift of your word that encourages us and calls us to more. God, your word doesn't condemn. We are saved by grace through faith alone. So we stand secure in our relationship with you. But God, we wanna be those who are learning to say yes to the truth that we know about you. We wanna close the gap between what we say we believe and how we live. Would you help us? Would you be kind and merciful? Would you stir us? Would you fill us with your spirit that gives us the boldness and the courage and the strength that we need? Would we be those who are willing to count the cost and say yes regardless? God, we dependent on you to allow your truth to penetrate our lives deeper and deeper from our hearts to our emotions to our will for your glory, God. As we sing this final song, you know, use it as a time to reflect um, or feel free to sing along, but uh, let's use this to respond to God. Thanks, guys. Thank you.